What's going on, food eaters? Welcome back to the Food Labels Revealed podcast. I'm your host, Mel Weinstein, your humble, self-professed prophet of processed foods. This is episode number 77. For today's show, I'm returning to a news format. Every so often, I report on significant online news stories from the world of processed foods. These news items were previously posted on the FLR Facebook page, which can be found under the name Food Labels Revealed Podcast. As usual, I'm not just going to read the stories to you, but I'll mostly summarize and provide commentary. These stories often don't get covered by major news outlets, or they wind up on the back pages of the paper and get overlooked. However, Sometimes the articles provide interesting and useful information, which you might want to tuck away for future reference. This program is entitled Lab Meat, The Next Food Revolution. If you haven't been following the stories about lab-grown meat, you may want to start paying closer attention. I think we are on the cusp of the next processed food revolution. In my opinion, lab-grown meat will be the rage within 10 years. It will eclipse the last food revolution, genetically modified foods, introduced in the 1980s when bioengineers promised the end of crop failures due to pests, weeds, and droughts, plus increased crop yields, longer-lasting produce, and improved nutritional profiles, for example, golden rice with built-in vitamin A. Many of the promises of GMOs went unfulfilled, or created new problems unanticipated by farmers. I last addressed lab-grown meat in episode number 63, called Futuristic Foods. Today, I'll share three stories about mammoth meatballs, yes, literally made from mammoth, cultured pork, and the FDA's take on lab meat. First, a little bit of history on this topic. In the mid-20th century, medical researchers got interested in regenerative medicine, the restoring of tissues that were damaged by disease, trauma, or age. The first experiments involved injecting cells from healthy individuals, human or animal, into people who had life-threatening diseases. The procedures were done in vivo, that is, inside the body. Then, starting in the 1990s, After the discovery of stem cells, experiments were conducted in vitro, that is, outside the body, in a lab setting. Using special media, cell replication was encouraged to grow tissues like cartilage that could be implanted in people suffering, say, from arthritis or creating new skin for burn victims. Some scientists familiar with this new medical technology realized the potential for replicating tissues taken from food animals. Rather than birthing a cow, raising the cow, that's providing food, nutrients, water, shelter, vet care, etc., then slaughtering the cow, processing the meat, and distributing it, some scientists began to wonder if a juicy steak could be manufactured in a laboratory. Surprisingly, this was not a new idea, but the tools and know-how did not become available until the early 2000s. Oddly, Winston Churchill suggested the possibility back in 1931 
In an essay he wrote entitled 50 Years Hence, he said, quote, We shall escape the absurdity of growing a whole chicken to eat the breast or wing by growing these parts separately under a suitable medium. End quote. Churchill was off by 50 years, but pretty prescient for his time. In the late 1940s, a Dutch student by the name of Willem van Elam, after attending a lecture on the preservation of meat, imagined the idea of growing meat outside the body in a laboratory. He was not a vegetarian, but he cared strongly about how food animals were treated and desired to grow meat without inflicting pain. As a medical student, he learned about the practical requirements for such a project, but he eventually dropped out of school to pursue other interests. However, he never gave up on this idea and saved money for future research. By the 1990s, he had partnered with several investors and raised $750,000 for these pet projects. The experiments led to several patents, but his work never succeeded in creating lab-grown meat. Sadly, he died in 2015 at the age of 91, right at the time when important new discoveries were being made in this field. In 2008, PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, announced a $1 million prize to the first company to bring lab-grown chicken to market. Two criteria had to be met. One, the engineered chicken had to be indistinguishable from real chicken, and two, the product had to be scaled up in production to produce enough quantities to be competitively sold in at least 10 states. Since no companies were able to claim the prize, the contest was extended until March 2014. Still, there was no winner, but a vigorous competition among bioengineering companies was kindled. Later, Mark Post, co-founder of the Dutch company Mosa Meat, created the first cultured meat burger. The Callus hamburger was cooked and tasted in London in 2013. Sergey Brin, co-founder of Google, financed the production of the $415,000 burger. As the technology of bioengineering advanced, the cost dropped to about $16 per burger still prohibitively expensive. The world was caught by surprise in December 2020 when another player in bioengineered foods, Eat Just, debuted its lab-made chicken in Singapore. It sold under the brand name Good Meat. The CEO of Just Foods is Josh Tetrick, who brought fake eggs, called Just Egg, to the marketplace in 2018. In Singapore, the upscale restaurant 1880 Leones served up the new chicken entree to some 40 guests who later raved about its taste and texture. The small but technologically advanced country of Singapore fast-tracked the regulatory process for the new food over a two-year period, and Singapore became the first country to approve a bioengineered food. Now, here's a good question to ask. Why bother to create cultured meat products when conventional meat has been around for several millennia? The answer to that question basically comes down to four arguments. One, environmental. Two, economical. Three, health. And four, animal welfare. 
Starting with the environmental argument, meat production is predicted to grow 70% by the year 2050 as more and more non-Western countries adopt Western ways of eating. To sustain that growth, more land will be needed for grazing. The production of feed crops like soy and corn will need to increase, which will impact important ecosystems like rainforests, thereby diminishing biodiversity. Water usage will go up by putting pressure on that precious resource. Pollution levels will rise due to an increase in animal waste production. Greenhouse gases, like methane, will increase since ruminant animals, like cattle, emit those gases, which will worsen global warming. Second, with an ever-increasing world population and more mouths to feed, food production costs are likely to rise. Roughly 70 billion land animals are currently slaughtered each year to provide meat, and that will go up dramatically. These economic changes will affect land management, input costs like seed, fertilizer, weed, and pest control chemicals, production costs, as in machinery and labor, and distribution costs, such as transportation and storage. Food prices will likely skyrocket. Regarding health, resistance to antibiotics and treating microbial diseases is linked to the excessive use of those drugs in raising animals for meat, thus reducing their effectiveness in fighting bacterial infections in humans. Current methods of meat production are associated with foodborne illnesses like salmonella and listeria. Fourth, the last argument addresses the inherent cruelty in the livestock industry where animals are raised in horrendous disease-causing conditions, killed at very young ages, and usually treated inhumanely. In summary, lab-grown meat could reduce or eliminate most of these problems and may also be more sustainable in the long run. That said, let's look briefly at the process for making cultured or cultivated meat. First, a bit of nomenclature. A number of names for bioengineered meat have arisen in the last decade, including healthy meat, slaughter-free meat, in vitro meat, vat-grown meat, lab-grown meat, cell-based meat, clean meat, cultivated meat, and synthetic meat. The names that have risen to the top are lab-grown meat, clean meat, and cultivated or cultured meat. Those are the names that you are likely to see on food labels of the future, but that will depend on the regulatory process established by the USDA and the FDA. Two general processes for making lab-grown foods are one, replication of animal cells, and two, using microbes in fermentation processes. I'll only talk about the replication process here. To make cultivated meat, scientists biopsy muscle stem cells from a live animal. Stem cells can differentiate into various types of cells and proliferate indefinitely to produce more of the same stem cell. They are the earliest type of cell in a cell lineage. The stem cells are then grown in a special media to produce muscle tissue. The tissue is then fed, cultured, or multiplied, shaped, and structured using a bioreactor to form a meat product. Stem cells are like a blank slate, so depending upon the biochemicals in the medium, they can be coaxed to produce different kinds of cells, like muscle or fat, plus they reproduce better and live longer. The process just makes a mass of meat cells, which 
might resemble ground beef, but to make specific cuts that mimic commercial meat like steak, a scaffold must be present to train the muscle cells to grow in specific ways. In animal bodies, the protein collagen provides mechanical support for cellular growth. But in lab-grown meat, the challenge is to find a suitable plant material to serve as a scaffold in this process. Needless to say, there are plenty of trade secrets regarding muscle tissue proliferation and structure building in this new industry. Nowadays, there are a bevy of companies involved in the bioengineering of meat. If you search under cultured meat in Wikipedia, you'll find a table of about 38 companies that are working in this field. The primary area of research is for beef analogs because this is the most expensive type of meat in the marketplace and has the highest environmental impact. The companies that master the replication of beef products will likely be the most financially successful. Lab-grown meat is often called clean meat since the conditions for growing it can be absolutely controlled, for example, in a sterile environment. The bioreactors of the future will be sterile systems, thus eliminating the need for antibiotics and making the clean meat a better alternative to the natural meat derived from cattle raised on antibiotic-treated feed. Also, the controlled production will allow for the introduction of other key nutrients such as fat, vitamins, etc. So, with that background, let's open the FLR newspaper. The Associated Press published this mind-blowing blurb on March 28, 2023. A jumbo meatball made from a woolly mammoth. Was that a promotion for a new Jurassic Park movie? No. A company in Australia called VOW, V-O-W, has opened what is claimed is the largest cultivated meat facility in the Southern Hemisphere. Initially, it plans to produce as much as 30 tons of meat annually before expanding with additional plants, such as one in Singapore, the only country which has legalized the sale of bioengineered meat. Rather than seeking the production of common meats like chicken or beef, as other companies have done, Val has cultivated meat from the cells of kangaroo, water buffalo, and alpaca, to name a few. Their approach starts with this question. What protein would we choose if we could eat anything? How was the woolly mammoth meatball created? The company used publicly available DNA data available for the extinct animal, then filled in missing parts using the African elephant, its closest relative. The combined DNA was transferred to a sheep cell, and under optimal lab conditions, the cells multiplied until enough protein was generated to produce the mammoth meatball, which was slow-cooked and then seared with a blowtorch. The softball-sized meatball was first publicly displayed at a museum in Amsterdam, but it was never taste-tested. The company has no plans to scale up production, so you won't be seeing woolly mammoth steaks being served at your local Alexander Steakhouse anytime soon. It was just created as a proof of product and to get publicity. In an ironic twist, just a few weeks before coming across this bizarre news story, I was reading the main article in the May 2009 edition of the National Geographic magazine. 
entitled Ice Baby, Secrets of a Frozen Mammoth. I used to subscribe to National Geo, but eventually ended the subscription when they started to accumulate in my home, and I couldn't keep up with reading them. Now, in retirement, I'm finally trying to catch up. This article described the finding of a frozen, mostly intact baby woolly mammoth in May 2007 on the Yamal Peninsula in northwestern Siberia. It was estimated to be 40,000 years old, born during the last ice age, and died as an infant, probably trapped and drowned in a muddy ravine, then preserved in salty, wet clay. Scientists had already been at work trying to clone frozen mammoth tissue. A science team at Pennsylvania State University, based on hair samples, published 70% of the mammoth genome. Since the African elephant is the closest surviving relative to the woolly mammoth, the use of its genome could fill in the gaps for the ancient pachyderm's DNA. The article about Val's production of mammoth meat did not reveal the steps that were needed to produce viable cells. The next story comes from the British newspaper The Guardian, published in April 2023. Another Australian company called Magic Valley produced pork by reprogramming the cells of a pig's ear to produce stem cells demonstrating that farm animals do not have to be killed to produce meat. Stem cells can potentially generate various types of cells such as muscle, fat, connective tissue, bone, etc. Magic Valley is applying for regulatory approval in Australia and would like to sell cultivated meat products such as lamb and pork by the end of 2024. The cell-based pork meat was taste-tested by a recorder for The Guardian. A morsel was served in a silky wonton skin immersed in chili oil, spring onion, and black vinegar. The reporter stated that the pork meat was slightly softer and more gelatinous than traditional pork. Initially, the lab-grown versions of cellular meat are expensive, in this case around $23 per pound, but mass production and scale-up should lower the cost to around $2.30 per pound, affordable for many consumers. The company estimates that their cultivated meat would reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 70 to 90 percent compared to conventional meat production. The nutritional content would be identical. Also, unwanted components such as saturated fat could be reduced and other desirable components such as protein could be enhanced. The last story deals with regulatory approval for cultivated meats in the U.S., Even if the feasibility of cultivated meats at reasonable prices becomes a reality, they are sufficiently different from conventional meats that each one would need approval by the FDA to be sold in this country. As I've said in the past, every new food ingredient with a unique process of production will have to pass the scrutiny of the FDA as regards safety, nutrient modifications, etc. to get the green light for sale in the U.S. food system. Every company making such products will need to petition the FDA for approval. Again, from an article in the Guardian newspaper published November 2022 entitled, U.S. Declares Lab-Grown Meat Safe to Eat in Groundbreaking Move. So, the FDA gave approval 
to a California company called Upside Foods to produce chicken from living cells by growing them in a controlled laboratory environment. The chicken was deemed safe for human consumption. The agency is also contemplating the approval of other meats, including seafood, from a bevy of other companies. According to Robert Califf, the FDA commissioner, quote, the world is experiencing a food revolution and the U.S. FDA is committed to supporting innovation in the food supply, end quote. The nonprofit think tank, the Good Food Institute, estimates that there are at least 150 cultivated meat companies worldwide, which are backed by billions of investment dollars. Of course, it will take many months, if not years, for these meat products to reach supermarket shelves or restaurant dinner tables. So that's the brave new world of bioengineered food that is headed our way. But here's my take on the subject. It will be many years before we see prime rib of mastodon or any other cultivated meat being served up in restaurants or your local barbecue. Here's why. The public, you and I, have to be convinced to try cultivated meats, that they're just like the original, great texture and with great taste. For that reason, these products will probably be introduced into the food system slowly in a hidden kind of fashion. Some of you listeners may be old enough to remember the advent of texturized vegetable protein, commonly known as TVP, introduced in the 1960s by the company Archer Daniels Midlam, ADM. That company figured out how to make a meat-like product from soybean protein. It was sold as a dry food stuff that could be reconstituted with water. At that time, alarms were going off in the medical community about the correlation between heart disease and saturated fat. The smart folks at ADM convinced meat producers to cut hamburger with TVP, having no saturated fat, to lower the total fat of the meat. Most consumers didn't notice the difference. Eventually, public acceptance of TVP developed, and along with a number of other food applications, TVP became omnipresent in today's food system. Now you can find hundreds, if not thousands, of products in grocery stores that contain texturized vegetable protein in one form or another. I believe a similar trend will happen with cultivated meats. Those products will slowly get introduced into our food system as they are blended with conventional meats until most consumers discovered that they are a viable, healthy, safe, and a good environmental alternative to slaughtered cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys, etc. Hey, food eaters, so sad, but it's time to end the show. To all the listeners in podcast land, old and new, I appreciate you tuning in. If you have a little bit more time, I'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating at the iTunes store. You can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed and their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or just by Googling Food Labels Revealed. And of course, you can always listen to the podcast on your smartphone or tablet by downloading a podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Google Play. If you think your family, friends, coworkers, or acquaintances might be interested in this podcast, tweet or post a link through your social media outlets to get the word out. 
Hey listeners, I'd like to hear from you. If you have a particular processed food, food ingredient, or additive that you would like to learn about, send me a message at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's all one phrase, foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. Then in a future episode, I'll address your inquiries. Till later, remember this. If you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music is a clip from Concerto for Four Box Cello, composed by David Heilowitz. You should check out his YouTube channel. He not only composes and plays his own music, but he also constructs novel instruments. Till later. Thank you.